Hi, and welcome to All Things Cozy with Matt and Julian. We are a bi-weekly podcast about everything that is warm, soft, and comforting. This week, we're sampling from a broad range of cozy topics our listeners have requested, but we haven't yet addressed. We're calling it a cozy smorgasbord. <laughs> All these topics have, as I said, been suggested by listeners from Anna Green Gables, Soups and Stews, Cottage Core, and Masterpiece Theater, or just Masterpiece as it's called now. We'll dive into each of those topics as we sample their flavors. But first, this just in, it's Cozy in the News. So we have a new segment we're trying out to take a breather from what's making us feel cozy this week, based again on listener feedback. We all want to hear cozy news stories, apparently, and so Jillian and I, we're on the cozy beat for you. First in, breaking news, Taco Bell is bringing back its cheesy Fiesta potatoes and spicy potato soft taco. Coming back in hot March 11th. I didn't know this, but the potatoes got pulled this past summer. There was widespread outrage, but Taco Bell listened and they're bringing it back. Would have loved to have had it back when we did our cozy fast food episode, which I believe was a few months ago. And it was hard to find vegetarian options at Taco Bell. So this will be great for all the vegetarians out there and loving those potatoes. Yeah, finally, they're bringing back some more vegetarian options because their menu was dire over the summer. And I'm glad that we're returning to some (laughs) really awful for you, but um, very delicious uh, cheesy (laughs) potato dishes. And also for those who love the Mexican pizza, I personally love Mexican pizza when I eat meat. There is some hope. So keep your fingers crossed. A rep said, we're constantly listening to our customers, so I wouldn't pull that off the table. So stay tuned to Cozy in the News to find out if the Mexican pizza makes its return. (laughs) Well, hot off the presses. (laughs) I don't don't know how long we can sustain this style of... (laughs) This is probably just going to be for the first uh, inaugural segment. But speaking of inaugurations, during uh, President Biden's inauguration... Bernie Sanders created quite a stir with his cozy inauguration day mittens. And (laughs) I thought this was a really cozy news item, first of all, because it's centered on mittens, but also all of the memes that were created were really funny. And actually, the story behind the mittens is even cozier. So these really cute mittens were knit by a public school teacher named Jen Ellis, who lives in Essex Junction, Vermont who, after being bummed out that uh, Senator Sanders lost the primary, felt inspired to send him a pair of comforting mittens. And so she makes them from repurposed wool sweaters. So basically, when people are done with their wool sweaters, she's like, I have a cute mitten idea for that. And it's actually not the first time this exact pair of mittens have made the news. Um, There was a dietary worker in Pittsburgh named Alexandria Cutler who met with uh, Senator Sanders during his campaign he was walking her uh, on her commute, like to her bus stop and she was cold. And so he lent her the mittens and then there was a photo taken of it and it went viral then. So, you know, these mittens, they'll probably be back in the news this time next year. Well, I love how practical the mittens are as well, because (laughs) he's like the one person who is dressed appropriately and no one wants to be sitting outside in the cold for hours on end. And so he did it right. In my opinion, I think my favorite meme is when he's on the New York city subway because I could like I can picture that person in my mind sitting on the subway. Like it actually looks like just every New Yorker on the subway 
And I also loved the meme of him leaned up against Keith Morrison. That was also a favorite of mine. I think you're right that the memes that came out were just so fun. And it, it's also fun when everyone gets in on the same thing and then they're getting creative with that kind of stuff. But that's not all. Jillian, you have another item. I do. Extra, extra, extra. <laughs> Four extras. <laughs> no, that was three. Lots of extras. <laughs> I can imagine myself in a little newsboy cat hobbling around. I mean, that's exactly what I'm picturing. Bopping around Silver Lake. Extra, extra. So this one, I have to give credit to Ellen Byron, who was a cozy author, cozy mystery author who was on her show. And I saw she shared this story on Twitter. Mardi Gras, as you know, the parades have been canceled due to COVID-19. So New Orleans re- residents are getting creative and are creating their own float houses. So they're basically decorating their homes like they would the floats. And it's really fun to see. There's going to be an interactive map where you can register your float house and then people can drive by the float houses or cycle on by, walk on by, whatever you want to do. And this is up until Mardi Gras, which the official Mardi Gras celebration is on February 16th. But it's a celebration that runs for weeks. So it's going on right now. And I just looking at the photos of the houses right now, they're so fun. There's like a Jeopardy house. There's a Van Gogh Mardi Gras house. Lots of different things going on, all the color and all the fun. And that's thing would be like a great activity to do while you're in quarantine to decorate your house and get into the spirit. There's so much color and especially in the wintertime, you don't get a lot of that. It's like a cozy activity that people are are doing. And then another fun thing, there's this group called Mardi Paws. It's a yearly Mardi Gras parade for dogs. And so they're also challenging New Orleans residents to do dog house floats. So if you have a dog house celebrated in the spirit of Mardi Gras, and they're hoping that it brings awareness to homeless pups at the St. Tammany Parish Department of Animal Services in the area, and they're giving out prizes. And if you submit your entries by February 24th, you have the opportunity to win a prize. So just fun stuff to do in a time when there's not a lot of celebrations going on. The name Mardi Paws by itself is incredibly cozy. And this will, yeah, this will be a really interesting Mardi Gras season. And I love that people are staying safe and decorating their houses instead of gathering in large numbers. And I just hope that all the flashers maintain social distance. Yeah, now you can flash from the comfort of your own home. So, uh, Flashing a smile, we mean. One final piece of cozy news. I saw this article in the New York Times about how bands are shifting to cozy merch to make a buck in the pandemic because obviously they can't tour and they have to sustain themselves somehow. This New York Times article goes over like all the different types of merchandise that bands are selling out of their stores now. Like Katy Perry um, has onesies you can buy. Lady Gaga is selling bar soap. <laughs> um, Liz Fair has a puzzle. Um, I, I I actually talked about on this show how I bought a Smashing Pumpkins puzzle. You know, it's it's interesting how now these bands are shifting from T-shirts and, you know, obviously like records and stuff and expanding into puzzles and mugs and <laughs> other like things that are comforting. I, I think one of the artists who, and someone that we... Love here on, on All Things Cozy. Uh, Phoebe Bridgers is quoted in the article talking about how, like, you know, the stuff that she likes to sell in her store for her band uh, is the stuff that makes her laugh and she wants to share it with people because she generally gets a kick out of it. And so, like, that really actually translates because people like it. So, like, the best-selling item she has is her Christmas sweater and stuff like that. And I don't know. I think it's super cute and a, and a nice new trend. And I hope it continues past the point we're able to be together again. And because I still want these, you know, 
uh, grunge puzzles and uh, holiday letters and as garbage the the band uh, <laughs> is now making toilet paper. Oh my god! Yeah, I've bought more merch during this time period than any other time. So I, I guess also that, like you said, there's that yearning to participate in some way. Like every now we know we're not going to shows, so we have to get that fixed somehow. And yeah, it's interesting how that how it works. I have a lot of comfy new teas because of it. Yeah, and if it's a if it's a Casey Musgraves candle, then so be it. I need to get on that, but it is pretty. Those little candles she sells are pretty expensive. Yeah, and they're always selling out. So yeah. you know, hook us up, hook up yeah. all things cozy. Send us one of those Casey Musgraves candles. Yeah, we'll, we'll do our best to get it too. Please. Or or you know you can also you know check out our Patreon and support us that way, and we can maybe buy one secondhand on eBay for a markup. Yeah, I just yeah I go and I just look at it and like well maybe because a lot of times when I buy something expensive, I put my cursor over the item and then I close my eyes and press it because I don't like to see. <laughs> Like I don't like to pretend it's not really happening, but I really if want you don't it. if you don't look at it, it didn't actually cost them much money. Yes, yes. Close your eyes. It, you didn't buy it, and then you look at your bank account the next day. But that's the Casey. I've I've like I've sat with there with my eyes closed. I'm like I'm gonna buy it. I'm gonna buy it, but I just can't justify it. So I hope someone buys it for us. <laughs> Jillian, are you ready to tuck in to our cozy smorgasbord? Oh yeah, I have my little um, bib tucked in and ready to ready to go. Ready for my taste test. That's right. We are full on corny today, so uh, <laughs> brace yourself. Uh, all right, so let's let's start out with like an actual food item that would possibly be included um, in a smorgasbord: soups and stews. Julian and I both took to the kitchen and whipped up some hot treats. <laughs> <laughs> hot treats. I don't like that. Sounds disgusting. Soups and stews have been on our radar for quite some time as one of the coziest food items in the world, I think we can comfortably say. <laughs> you know, they're warm, they're comforting, uh, they're often made by old people. <laughs> and we also know a ton of listeners are also sh- always sharing their wonderful recipes with us, but we really had never given the time and space to trying them ourselves and talking about them on the show. So here we go. My stew journey began with a visit to my bookshelf. I have a copy of the Moosewood Restaurant Cookbook that I've had forever. I'm, I'm, I'm talking, it's been here for 12 years, and I've never cooked anything from it. I don't, I don't even really remember where I got it from or why. Uh, I think it was part of this kick around like when I became a vegetarian or was recently trying to cook vegetarian, looking for resources for it. And I was like, I'm going to finally make something from this cookbook. And so I picked the winter vegetable stew recipe from, again, Moosewood Restaurant. And it is as simple as can be. Now, one limitation here is that these stews often require a big pot. Mm. You know what I mean? Like one that you can just like pile in a ton of liquid and vegetables. And I do not have that. I have a saucepan. You know what I mean? But I don't really have like a gigantic pot for stew, you know, as, as, as shocking as that may seem, but I do have a slow cooker. So I adapted the recipe for slow cooking. Well, let me just describe what it is. I keep like beating around the bush. It's super simple. All it is, is you just chop up onions, potatoes, celery, parsnips, carrots, and you put it all in together and you put in a cup of beer, which was interesting. Hmm. Uh, A cup and a half of water. And you season it with dill, obviously salt and pepper, 
marjoram, which I'm sure I'm saying wrong, and anything else you want to use to zest it up. I ended up adding some soy sauce just to kind of like kick it up a notch, Mm. as Emeril would say. (laughs) It, It turned out, I think, okay. I would say this recipe was fine. It is super simple in that you are just like chopping a bunch of vegetables and putting it in, but then you kind of get that super simple flavor out of it. So if you're kind of looking for that traditional vegetable stew that maybe when you were a kid and you'd go to a grandparent's house and you'd eat it and then you'd still be hungry when you went home and your family would stop at McDonald's. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's that kind of stew. Um, It didn't blow me away, but it also did provide some comfort and it was just cozy, you know, to make it and the smell that permeated the house. Yeah. I, I, did you eat it with bread or have any side dish oh, with some rye bread and that really helped good. Uh, as well yeah it was fine I, I you know i wasn't blown away and i i think there are better stew recipes out there but for a first try in the stew game i think i did okay what i like about this recipe is like you said it's just just a hodgepodge of vegetables and seasoning it really hits that stew making process it feels like you're you no know, you're in a village in grimm's fairy tales or something just like it's absolutely putting, that yeah. that's why i picked it because i'm like i definitely feel like a a witch making this um yeah it's very old-timey <laughs> it feels like you're in a fairy tale or something yeah well let's not talk about cottage core yet uh <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that really frustrated me about it was because i adapted the recipe for a slow cooker Um, which ultimately did bring it to a point where it tasted good and all the vegetables were thoroughly cooked. I do not jive well with slow cooking. I am too impatient. I was checking it too often. I even like left the house and we went to a park for a couple of hours and it was still like, oh great, we still have like two more hours of this on (laughs) a low setting before it was done. Yeah, I just like, I don't have the patience for slow cookers. So I think I learned that about myself like with this, you know, four and a half hour slow cooking experience. Uh, it got yeah. there, but I wish it got there a little sooner. No, it's not for me. That's why I have my Ninja air fryer. Oh, we, we got an air fryer too for Christmas. Oh, it is. I mean, I think for me, I always would just get so frustrated when I would, you know, burn a vegetable because there's very, very uh, specific timing you have to have when you're, you know, baking uh, Brussels sprouts or cauliflower or whatever it is. But the air fryer always nails it. And even with this um, tofu steaks, Throw it in right there, grill it. Cause it's the Ninja um, air fryer, and then it does a, it's a grill setting. Apparently, you can bake cakes in it as well. It's like a multifunctional thing. Wow, it's beautiful. Air fryers are all the rage now. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know what the. I feel like I'm probably microwaving my brain every time I'm doing it or something. Like it has a weird smell. I know one day maybe he's saying air fryers are all the rage now. It's going to be something sounding like microwaves. That's a that's a hot new trendy thing. Oh yeah, the only thing I don't like it's so bulky. It is very bulky. Yeah, we we put ours away like um in another room because you just can't like have it out. Yeah, and I was afraid I'm going to electrocute myself in it because they have a lot of warnings about water and stuff. So I get I have a lot of anxiety about like me injuring myself in the most craziest ways so hopefully i don't die by air fryer <laughs> let's let's hope <laughs> I, I believe in your ability to avoid that fate jillian what super stew did you brew for us well as per usual there's some calamity when i was trying to make stuff so my original intent was to make this creamy cauliflower soup and there was some cream involved i feel like but i when i pulled out the cauliflower it was rotted so okay well <laughs> got like i've you know, a few hours left to make this. I have to really come up with something. So I looked in my fridge and what I had and 
I had some fresh broccoli. I had some cheese. I had only two cups of vegetable stock left. So I came across this recipe from Journey J Kitchen. It's a broccoli cheddar soup with sweet potato. And her description of it is, broccoli cheddar soup with sweet potato is truly divine. Perfect comforting meal for colder days when you need something hearty to comfort your body and soul. And the, one of the pluses she mentions is that it's made in 25 minutes, which is great. And it was very simple. So perhaps, Matt, you would enjoy this. You saute your onions in a pot. And once you're doing that, you cut up your sweet potato into cubes. You get your paprika going. You get your minced garlic. And you get your broccoli all settled. And then you throw that all in. Once you have all your vegetables and whatnot, you also put some broccoli on the side because you're going to top the soup with the other broccoli you're not using. Then you put in your vegetable stock. And I was low on vegetable stock. I didn't have the three cups, so I put some water in. And then you put that all together and you bring it to a boil. Once it's boiled, you turn the heat down and you let it sit for 15 to 20 minutes. While you're doing that, get your cheese ready. Unfortunately, we didn't have sharp cheddar cheese, so I used some, a bag of shredded mozzarella from Sprouts. That worked fine. So I got that onto the side and then I had to blanch the the uh, remaining broccoli as my, you know, my garnish to top it off and look all nice for Instagram, what have you. So once I did that, I let it uh, sit and I turned off the heat. I then blended my contents of my my stew and my soup. So I got my, my uh, Nutribullet and had to do it in different shifts because my Nutribullet, I couldn't find my big... Nutribullet uh, container, so I had to use the small one. So I was blending that up, and then it becomes like a, a creamy substance because when you're blending your stew, you're also adding in your cheese slowly as you go. So uh, you, the cheese is blended in it, and that makes it creamy. I personally loved it. I really don't like soups or stews because I feel like I'm eating slaw from a trough or something. Like I guess I'm like, <laughs> I also don't like the fact that I keep on putting my spoon in. Like I'm putting it out, I'm putting it in my, my mouth. It's just like kind of wanna it just sometimes it feels a little gross to me so i don't and then i always think to myself i'm like this is it you know because we like we like to shovel food in our mouths so it's not like a lot of shoveling you know i like to have like a, a full meal i really don't like to see the soup but i have to say this might have converted me i feel full i think the sweet potato was the ingredient that made it super creamy it had a great flavor um, it, it was, it was lovely. I didn't even have to have bread with it. I ate it all. It was, it was great. I mean, that's what I love about soups and stews, hearty soups and stews, um, like these is they are very filling and they are the meal themselves. Mm-hmm. And they're typically not that difficult, right? Because you're just sort of like combining a bunch of ingredients and you really can't go wrong with I, bro- broccoli and cheese are a match made in heaven. So yeah, I'm looking at the pictures now. It looks amazing and it sounds delicious. I have to try that. Yeah, I think the sweet potato was a trip because, like I said, I was looking at different recipes for what I could use for broccoli and whatnot. And a lot of it was heavy cream. I didn't have heavy cream. And personally, I really don't like creamy, milky soups. So I think the sweet potato, like I said, added that creamy that creamy feel without actually having the cream. And you could probably make it vegan if you just don't – or, if yeah, you could just use non-vegan – sorry, um, non-dairy cheese. And uh, it'd probably get the same result. Yeah, it's a great little hack. Another thing that I want to bring up is giggle soup, which is no longer, if you were a kid of the 80s or 90s, you might have had giggle soup, which is from Lipton, the brand. And it's basically just a bunch of sodium and then circular (laughs) tiny noodles. And for whatever reason, 
It was called Giggle Sooth. I don't know what was so hysterical about it, but I loved it. And I remember having it um, on snow days. You go out and play in the snow, and then my mom, my mom would make the Google soup, and it was like warm, lovely sodium, and these all these little circular little noodles. And apparently there was a big call for it online. I found this thread, and people are begging for it to um, bring it back. said, I love me some Google soup. I hope they bring it back. Um, love this Google soup as a child. Last time I saw it, it was in about 2000. So... Let's bring back Giggle Soup. If you're familiar with it, let me know. It's such a cozy winter soup for kids that are, and I hope that I'm not alone in it. It was just like a great soup. I have never heard of Giggle Soup, but really? I, I wish you well on your quest to restore it. Yeah, you'll see on the news in Lipton headquarters. <laughs> picketing. Giggle Soup fanatic lays siege to Lipton headquarters. That sounds super cozy, though. I'm I'm glad. I'm glad at least it's a memory that I will share with you too. That you can verify that you weren't just making up. There was something called giggle soup that existed. Yeah. Moving on from giggle soup, let's talk about a topic that has been maybe I would argue this is the most requested topic for our show because it has so many ride and dies. Um, it's Anne of Green Gables, and you know honestly, this is a topic that has intimidated us for a few reasons. One, it means a lot to a lot of people. And so we wanted to address it, give it its due, because we know that it means a lot to, to so many. The other thing for me is that having not really grown up with this as a cornerstone of my childhood, although I know that it was for many others, I haven't read the book and I really hadn't even watched any of the movies or TV series, what have you. And so it it was daunting as a someone who was new to it because it's like, wow, I have to, not only are there so many books, but there are so many different adaptations and it felt kind of intimidating. I, and sometimes I get kind of anxious when I'm, even with like shows, right? People are like, oh, you got to watch X show. And even if it sounds great, if I see like, I'm so late to the party that there are 10 seasons of it. I immediately am like, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know if I really want to catch up because I feel like by the time I'm caught up, you're all going to be over it. And so these were the feelings around, for me at least, why we've always intended to talk about Anne of Green Gables, but never have. But you know what, Jillian and I, it's a brand new year and we want to turn over a new leaf. And we were like, we just have to address this topic because so many people want to hear us talk about it. So let's dive in. Let's talk about Anne of Green Gables. Jillian, you've actually read the book, so I'm going to hand it over to you in terms of setting up what this uh, novel is all about and how it maybe became so popular um, in the hearts of so many. Yeah, and you know, like you said, it's always hard to do something's beloved justice, but you know, we'll we'll try our best. So Anne of Green Gables, if you're not familiar is a novel that was published in 1908 by Canadian author Lucy Maud Montgomery, published as L.M. Montgomery. And it centers on an orphan girl who's 11 years old named Anne Shirley. It's in the 19th century. The premise is, after being shuffled around mobile homes and living a very sad and not a put it simply not nice life she is mistakenly sent to two middle-aged siblings matthew and marilla cuthbert who originally intend to adopt a boy to help them on their farm in the fictional town of evan i don't know if i'm saying this right evan lee in prince edward island canada and so basically anne has not had the upbringing that 
the other inhabitants of this town had. She doesn't know, you know, social cues and she hasn't had a formal education, but she's very spirited and she's very intelligent. She's extremely talkative. She's stubborn. She just has a lot of heart and she it's the story follows her trials and tribulations in this town, getting to know her schoolmates, getting to win over the Cuthberts who are, I would say, more so reserved and aren't very expressive and loving. And if you know anything about Anne, her heart is on her sleeve. And that's one of the endearing things about this character. And I believe one of the reasons why she's so beloved, but she's also a person who is flawed as well. She has outbursts. Um, she has a lot of anger and she is also very self-deprecating she doesn't like the way she looks she doesn't like the fact she has red hair and freckles and all of these sorts of things she is a lovable character who breaks your heart all at once that that makes sense Uh, she's someone you're rooting for but someone also that you uh, don't always agree with uh yeah i think she's more probably probably the one of the more spirited female characters who I guess who at least as a child that I recall reading when I was younger and so I believe that's why she's so so popular there's not many characters who are drawn like her it's very complicated being new to the series myself so just to kind of cover what we interacted with in terms of getting a refresher on Anne of Green Gables we watched the newest Netflix adaptation called Anne with an E not all of it. I, I just watched the first few episodes. And I also checked out an anime adaptation from 1979 called Akage no An. And I, I'm probably pronouncing that totally wrong, but um, which translates to red haired Anne. And just to kind of, you know, get a couple of different touchstones for how this character has been um, adapted. Um, but before we dive into each of those, I, I just want to say generally, I immediately understood like why this character has become so iconic and so mm-hmm. beloved because she's extremely real. And yeah. she really takes you back to the feelings of childhood. And I'm sure that when you're reading this book as a child, you know, I never had that experience, but... I have to imagine you feel so seen in Anne. All of the adults around her, like whether they are meaning ill or not, don't understand the impact they have on children. And she just like, what's so amazing about her is she makes that so plain. No, you made me feel bad. And here's why, like when you talk to me like that, she's so committed to the purity of imagination and possibility, even despite all of her hardships, that she is a very endearing figure and you really are rooting for her and want her to find happiness, especially with all that she's been through. And even just like the, the on their face, tragic circumstances and horror of being a little girl who is mistakenly adopted. That whole situation is like a nightmare that it turns into something. So beautiful is, is quite uh, an adventure. Yeah. It really is an interesting thing. And let's shift over to um, Anne with an E because this is the the latest version of the story. It's an interesting adaptation because it brings in a whole other level, which is my understanding that it, it sort of emphasizes the traumatic aspects of Anne's past in a way that others don't. So there's this kind of interesting mixture of the idyllic farm life that she's in and you know her imaginary adventures cut against these flashbacks to the horrible orphanages she would, or, you know, foster homes rather that she was experiencing prior to that point. 
and even the pain of like, you know, all the things that happened to her when she gets there too, which mm-hmm. is like including being a- accused of theft and <laughs> being rejected multiple times or insulted. It's not even easy when she gets there. There's like a lot of traumatic stuff happening. I didn't expect it to be so hardcore <laughs> in terms of uh, no. the, the sort of torture this little girl gets put through. Um, no. At the same and- time, it is like beautiful to look at and there has so much heart. So it's a, it's a lot of emotions you experience watching it. Yeah, and I agree. And I think having read the book as a child, you know, it obviously it was a lot different than this adaptation. But also I think it was so different in the sense that I couldn't contextualize all of that pain. Like when you're when you're a kid, it's very like like the term orphan is so simplified. Oh yeah, no parents. <laughs> but you don't think about well, what does that mean to have no parents? Well, you're going through foster homes. You don't know what that really looks like when you're, you know, seven, if you're, if you're lucky, um, that is, you know, it's, it's hard. It's, you know, tragedy is so simplified when you're a child, you know, it's very black and white. Orphan is, is especially in movies, you know, how, how an orphan looks. It's very um, cartoonish in a way. And so to have it so plainly laid out like this was startling from what I remember reading as a, a child. And so when, you know, when you have a childhood figure that you grew up with and then seeing it so horrifically on screen, and I have to say I'm someone who has very, like a gentle sensibility. So I, especially when it comes to kids, and I think that's also because I did work in a news environment that was about parents and children. So I've written a lot of horrifying things about children abuse and whatever. And so it's like, it reminds me all that because when I'm, when I see horrifying things on screen involving children, people say like, Oh, well, it's not real. They're just actors. Yes. But it reminds me of all the real things that do go on. I'm like, yeah, that's on screen, but it does also happen in real life. And then I go down that spiral of thinking about those things and remembering old things that I've written about or read. And it's just like this horrible spiral so for me, it wasn't enjoyable for that reason, um, because there is like abuse laid out pretty plainly. And I, one particular scene that I found gratuitous or something that really upset me and I had to turn off was, um, Anne is talking with Mr. Cuthbert and it's like a really cute scene because as I said, Anne's super, super talkative. She's just like going on and on and on and she's trying to win him over and charm him. And you can tell that Mr. Cuthbert is being, being charmed by her. He's unsure about her, but he's, you can tell that he's intrigued and you can see this very shy man starting to preen a little and it's, and it's a, it's a sweet scene. And then he asks her something about question about her old life or something to that effect. And she zones out and she like, and she says something and as she's saying it, we flash back to this horrible scene, which where she's getting, you know, um, hor- horrifically, you know, beat. And it just really pulled me out of that, that coziness. And I understand that in a lot of ways, uh, coziness cannot exist without uh, pain in a lot of ways, because coziness is the act of seeking comfort. And so if you're seeking comfort, probably something's upsetting usually when you want coziness is when you had a hard day at work or whatever. So it's not that I don't think that we can show Anne's hard life or acknowledge that she suffered abuse. I just don't know why it's so long and why there's so much of it. And that's a lot, a lot of the issues I have just with TV shows and movies in general. It's like, 
sometimes suffering and abuse is integral to the story and we as viewers need to be reminded of it for historical context or just because it's something that we have to face. But in this instance, I didn't understand why there was so much of it. And after I shut it off, I read articles about the show because I don't like to read articles beforehand because I don't want to pick up on those ideas and perhaps present them as my own or be influenced by them. So after that, I read the articles and there's this one article that described a scene where she's being bullied by kids and involves a dead mouse. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I really don't want to go back to this. And it's unfortunate because I really love the the actors in this um work i thought they were very endearing and their performances were heartfelt i love the stunning landscape shots but i just could not get past that and Anne really summed it up when she said i like imagining better than remembering as soon as she said that i started crying like i'm this i'm just too sensitive i don't know that's a, that's a really beautiful line and it really does cut to the bone yes yeah i found the cuts back to her traumatic past to be a bit gratuitous you know this story is sad enough without that yeah even just have being a little girl and being mistakenly adopted <laughs> and having these adults say like, well, you can stay the night, but we got to send you back. And it, it's just horrible. That's enough. You don't need to have the flashbacks. And I kind of feel like I could maybe do with one of those scenes when she was on the train for the audience to really understand how bad it was before she got to the Cuthberts. <laughs> but beyond that, I kind of felt like the continued flashbacks were kind of adding insult to injury a bit. That's just my own personal mm -hmm. feeling about it. That being said, I have to say the pastoral setting is beautiful. The adults are flawed in a really like interesting way. And um, again, I just think Anne feels really real. She can be kind of grating, but <laughs> <laughs> she's real and, and, and beautiful in her way. And I think I actually would keep watching it, honestly, even though it's a bit hard in parts. I do want to see, at least because I've never read the book, I do kind of want to see where the story goes. So I guess I will say as somebody who's new to the material, it at least was successful in like wanting to have me stay and keep going to figure out like, you know, I, I just want to see Anne be happy. <laughs> and I'm going to push through until I at least get to some point that I feel satisfied that Anne's content in her story. Yeah. And I think that's the difference. I, I think it's the huge difference is that, like you said, you know, we, you didn't read this as a, a child. And I think the difference from when I was reading a child is like, I didn't understand how naked and honest and earnest the hope of being accepted and loved was. But when you, cause that's the, that's the basically the main plot of Anne. She wants to be accepted. She wants to find a family. She wants to love herself. She wants to love others. And her hope seems so innocent when you're a kid, because like I said, if you're lucky, you are innocent. And so then having the, the context of an adult, like her that's such like the desire to be loved and accepted is so raw <laughs> compared to any other desire and so seeing it played out on screen I don't know as I get older I'm just so much more sensitive and I I, I do I wish I could like follow along with you and see that that happiness realized because that would be like like you said satisfying that's what you really want for her but um now that journey is just so much more painful for me to see for some for whatever reason and like I said it wasn't the book wasn't this this tough um to swallow but like you said also this is the landscape so so pretty and i want to have an english breakfast like everyone i love when they sit down to well they're in england but <laughs> they have like a very simple breakfast i want to sit down at a table and have a like a very homey breakfast i can see them cooking stews 
Well, if you do want a cozier adaptation, there is this 1979 anime version. That's a, a TV series that was then made into a film. All they really did was take the first, like, several episodes, which cover the events of the first book, and then they just sort of package that as a movie. It's all on YouTube. And so I watched two different... I watched three episodes, one of them in Japanese with subtitles, and then two with the English dubs. I still have the theme song stuck in my head. It's basically a woman scream singing, and, and, over and over again. And it's somehow an earwormy song. So it's a, it's a bop. Check out the <laughs> um, Akage no an uh, <laughs> theme song. You know, again, I have a limited knowledge of the source material, so I can't say like how faithful it is, but it, it, having seen both in close proximity, both and with an E and then this, it's like they took out all the traumatic bits. Okay. It's just the, not, not those, just the straightforward story. And it's animated in, in an anime format and it's really for kids. So if you have, if you want to bring the story to children, I think it seems like a good way to do it. Um, definitely safer for children than Anne with an E. And the one thing I felt disappointed by was that, you know, the opportunity with animation is that you can animate anything. That it doesn't matter if I'm animating someone sitting at a cafe, like costs the same amount of money of me animating like a dragon you know, uh, battling a unicorn or something like, you know what I mean? It's like you can depict anything. And for someone who has such imagination, I feel like it was a missed opportunity that they didn't animate Anne's imagination or her fantasies. Um, they do a little bit of it with like the, these like cherry blossom babies. (laughs) Oh, that sounds cute. But like not enough for me to really feel like it was taken advantage of. And maybe that there's a lot of episodes, maybe that changed as the series went on, but at least for the first few, I I thought that was kind of a missed opportunity. But if you want to show Anne of Green Gables to a younger generation and who likes cartoons a bit more, uh, you could, you could do worse than um, the anime version of red haired Anne. I thought you'd check that out. I, the theme song alone sounds very intriguing. So I'll be checking that out. All right, well, let's stay in the rural area and <laughs> dive into cottagecore. Jillian, uh, what is cottagecore? <laughs> oh, boy. So I felt like, you know, out of my death one, that actually happened at um, work th- this past week when there was this band, Who Are We Now or, or What Do We Do Now, this band. I'm like, I have never heard of these people in my life. And that's kind of how I felt with the cottagecore. I'm like, am I really you know, turning a page of my life where I'm not up on the trends, which working like entertainment news. You're like, oh, I really need to be up on the up and up. But I only know um, about this because of listeners like recommending yeah, same. it. Yeah, exactly. So we had um, a listener, Andy, and she brought it up. And so um was like, okay, we got to do this for the Smorgasbord episode. And to put it simply, it's an internet the internet it's on the internet trend it's all on the internet <laughs> yes and there's there's different uh interpretations of when it's been popularized but primarily around 2018 and i'm just gonna quote someone who talked uh, to the new york times isabel sloan she said take modern escapist fantasies like tiny homes voluntary simplicity forest bathing and screen fiend tra- childhoods then place them inside a delicate moss-filled terranium, and the result will look a lot like Kajkor. And I think that's a great way to describe it. So a lot of people on TikTok, Instagram, are really embracing nature and 
you know, using your hands and simplicity. And it also is very, it can be very feminine in a lot of ways. So think Taylor Swift um, with folklore and her nap dress, like that kind of stuff if you want to put a pop culture spin on it. So, I mean, yeah, that's pretty much it. But what I think is great about it is that there's a lot of different interpretations. So you can have a very feminine slant where you're running around the fields and a flower crown and a nap dress, or it can be, you know, simply engaging with, you know, nature in a more productive way. Uh, So there's a lot of different accounts that you can follow if you're looking for how to decorate your house like a cottage and very nature-y, there's that. Um, Or if you want to learn how to make things, you want to learn how to, you know, sew or do whatever. So there's a lot of teaching involved in cottage core. It was hard for me to pin down it being just one thing. I think like the way that I experienced cottage core once I started looking into it, the most is this, you know, sort of English countryside aesthetic. It's very romantic. It really is very visual, at least in terms of the way it exists on the internet around, you know, especially Instagram and Twitter. It's oftentimes just these beautiful people who are wearing beautiful clothes that look like flowy and rustic and they're in their little cottages or out in nature and, Basically, there's a way it feels like cosplay quite a bit um, in in the way that it's sort of an aesthetic. And in fact, like when you look into it, like it's adjacent to these other movements, other things I've never heard of before, but I think are very niche interests like fairy core or everything's a core now. <laughs> fairy core, <laughs> goblin core, which I was like, well, goblin Whoa. core. Yeah, I know. Oh, but apparently it's when Why? you wear a bunch of mixed pattern fabrics and, and steel Why? shiny t- trinkets. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, it, it actually sounds like what I, I actually would be interested in that. Julian's been Goblin Core <laughs> since the 80s. You know, it, it's, it is that kind of like immediately like it, it, it put me in like, oh, this is kind of like a, the cosplay crowd where you dress up and you take photos. It's very imaginative and, and creative. But there is the element like Julian was describing of, of a way of life. There's this, there's this line that sort of straddles between like people who are recommending like self-care remedies or just like things to be more in touch with nature, get away from our phones, get more tactile. And then other people who are kind of using it more as like an escapist fantasy hobby. Like um, I'm, you know, I feel so cramped in the city and I'm, and I'm so exhausted. I'm just going to like go off to the forest and dress like a nymph and take photos. And it's, it's a really interesting thing. I, I didn't know what quite what to make of this movement that eschews technology, but also exists almost completely online. Mm. I I think there's like two elements here that for me feel very different in terms of their coziness. Like there's the perfection of these influencers who like that stresses me out because it it just feels like at that point, it's like a very superficial, like, yeah, don't I look pretty next to a cottage? Right. Whereas I found like the communities that exist in other spaces, like I, I looked at some on Facebook or Reddit that was more intriguing. That's where people were actually like sharing knitting patterns or asking for advice about how to like decorate their like dining room, like a grandma. And that's Mm -hmm. cute. And it's people actually kind of interacting. And maybe it's this, just the space for when there's more words involved, it feels like people are connecting and really trying to kind of get in touch with themselves and with nature. And that feels very cozy versus some of the more aesthetic element on Instagram and Twitter feels very performative. And that, and that, I think can lead down us that rocky path of people feeling like 
you know, comparing their lives and feeling like they're like, oh, I, I, you know, I, I don't live in a cottage <laughs> next to a, a bubbling <laughs> brook and look like that. And I don't know. I, I think like that's not that element kind of I'm a little wary of, but I, I do like the the more uh, the community aspects of it that are existing in other spaces. Yeah. And I think anything that's too highly curated is not cozy. I mean, people have different opinions of that. But for me, when I, I feel it's like looking at a very glossy magazine. I don't really feel anything when I'm looking at those kinds of images. It's beautiful, but, but like, yeah, yeah you, you think you th- you're thinking then about like, okay, you know, the setup here, and it, it almost starts to feel like a fashion ad, and not like something that yeah. feels um, down to earth. Well, yeah, from for me, coziness is when I also feel in- inspired and to replicate that in some way. And when I'm looking at two perfect images, I don't feel that. But you brought up an interesting point about community, and I think we also have to point out the fact that the people who are attracted or who participate the most in cottagecore, and what I didn't realize in diving deep into this, I'm sure you found the same thing, was that it's populated by a lot of LGBTQ people and then um, Black women as well. And uh, this writer, Leah Sinclair, wrote for Medium Zora that cottagecore presents a space for black women in particular to defy what we are told black womanhood looks like and explore a side of ourselves, which is rarely portrayed in the media and is often associated with whiteness. And so I think that's a big part of it as well, where there's people that escapist or trying to reclaim an aesthetic or a historical aspect that that you normally don't see these communities a part of and taking that and making it their own and in enjoying those spaces that typically aren't, you know, are I don't use were meant for them, but that they have been barred from. And so that's an interesting aspect that I didn't think about as well. I don't know if you thought about that. Cause like, cause you think about Taylor Swift and folklore and nap dresses, like you typically think of, you know, straight white women, but, in reality, the most people who are enjoying or participating in cottagecore are these other communities. Yeah. I understand why it's popular because even if you're not engaging in it, the images that are produced are very beautiful. And, yeah. you know, I think even just the time, you know, you're, you're scrolling in your feed and you get to see a beautiful stream or somebody mm-hmm. who's foraging for mushrooms or something like it's cute. It's it's very cozy. I, I, I It is a cozy thing. But yeah, I I, and I I can see why people just enjoy having this as part of their kind of curated, like this is part of my feed or something when I'm on Instagram or Twitter. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, thank you, Andy, for bringing that cottage core to your attention. Jillian, for our last item, shall, shall we go to the theater? The masterpiece theater, that is. I didn't realize until diving into this topic a bit more that masterpiece theater isn't called masterpiece theater anymore and it hasn't been since 2008. Oh. It's just Masterpiece, okay? Um, They dropped that theater in 2008. In case you didn't know, Masterpiece is a drama anthology series that is also America's longest-running weekly primetime drama Um, (laughs) series. Not, like, contiguous, but, like, anthology sort of thing. It's been going since January of 1971, which means actually this past January 10th marked its 50th anniversary. It's best known for its novel adaptations and biographical series acquired from the BBC and then played in America on PBS. And originally, actually, it was going to be titled The Best of the BBC. And their model is essentially they license content for several several years from the BBC or from other British channels. 
and uh, at the cost of usually they'll kick in a portion of the production budget. So they they do help finance a lot of these things, like maybe like ten to twenty percent of the budget, and then they get like uh, a certain uh, time frame to air it in America. They even used to have host, if you remember. I remember watching, you know, obviously I think the biggest thing that we all know was on Masterpiece on PBS most recently was Downton Abbey. And that was always Laura Linney introducing it. Um, but Gillian Anderson and Alan Cumming have also introduced Masterpiece series. Uh, and they, But they dropped the host too. So the theater is gone. The hosts are gone. We're just at the Masterpiece now. It's like that Facebook situation. It's just like drop the the. You know, there's so much, a, obviously, a 50-year storied history of them curating content to bring it over to the States. And it would take forever to, to go over everything, you know, influential that Masterpiece has done. So we thought we'd just fast forward to the contemporary moment and see what's uh, on Masterpiece now that we could talk about. And as luck would have it, they're airing the adaptation of a book that we've talked about on the show before, which is James Harriet's All Creatures Great and Small, which is about a basically a memoir of his experience as a small town rural veterinarian in Yorkshire, England. So this version of All Creatures Great and Small is not only an adaptation of the book, but is also a remake of the long-running series All Creatures Great and Small, which was ran from 1978 until 1990. And this new version premiered in the United States this month in January of 2021, And it's going to be seven episodes, including a Christmas special. And it stars Nicholas Ralph as James Harriet, Samuel West as Siegfried Farnan, Anna Madley, or Madeley, excuse me, um, Anna or Anna (laughs) as Mrs. Hall, Rachel Senton as Helen Alderson, and Callum Woodhouse as Tristan. And so let's dive in. So again, uh, just a a quick recap of the plot. In, In the first episode of All Creatures Great and Small, we are meeting James Harriet, who is a fresh out of veterinary school, but he can't find a job. His parents are like, look, we're going to have to, you're going to start working at the docks. We can't find a job soon. Mm-hmm. As luck would have it, he finds a job in the countryside um, because Mrs. Hall puts an advertisement in the paper, even though the actual veterinarian he'd be apprenticing with didn't really want him there <laughs> or anybody else. And he just like works through assistance. Like it's his job. It's, he's going to be, he's like the seventh person to join this clinic um, because no one can stand Siegfried Farnan working with him. He's kind of miserable. James is in this new place. He doesn't really feel particularly wanted. Um, and all of the townspeople are kind of wary of him too. And so we find that in this first episode, him just trying to find his bearings and hold on to this job because he really needs it. Cause there's these veterinary jobs are few and far between, but it's also cozy in that like we're on the English countryside. And most importantly, we are introduced to a ton of adorable animals uh, Jillian, what are your thoughts on All Creatures Great and Small? Well, first off, I must say how I'm a little bit embarrassed because when his parents were saying, you said that they have to, he had, might have to work at the docks. I heard it as dogs. I kept, I kept on hearing them say, you're going to have to work with the dogs. I, I was think like, as a veterinarian, oh. he wouldn't have been so upset about that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, but like, I thought that maybe was, you know, the base, the a basic veterinarian. And like, you're going to have to work with those dogs. And so I didn't hear the docks. Part, but now that makes a lot more sense. Uh, but my overall thoughts was very cute opening sequences, illustration, and um, opening little tune, and that was very cute. Beautiful scenery. Love the detailed sets, especially Siegfried's house. It was 
it's just how I pictured it in my mind that was from reading the book. And that was really nice. I personally thought that Nicholas Ralph really portrayed the eager and good natured spirit of James really well. I thought he was great for that role and a perfect fit. Love the animal actors. I thought the animals did a great job. There's this, um, the first episode is a scene of this man who's passing James on the road and he has a dog in his, the back of his car. And the, the dog is making great, um, eye contact with James. It's like, wow, it's a really great dog actor. So I love the animal actors. I thought there was a fun chemistry between the actors, um, Nicholas Ralph, and then the person who plays Siegfried, Samuel West. Although West didn't fit my mental picture of who Siegfried is, I was imagining Siegfried to be way older. And I don't know why I thought that. So when I saw him, it just wasn't fitting my initial instinct. I'm so glad to hear you say that because it makes me feel less crazy because I also imagined Siegfried Farnan to be older However, I was so like perplexed by this and decided to go back into the book because I have the, I have the ebook version of it. And so I was like, okay, I can quickly find the name Siegfried and figure out how he was initially described. And he's described quite a bit like the actor who plays him and that he has sandy hair. And he just, I think um, Harriet initially describes him as looking extremely English, the most English person he's ever seen. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason in my mind's eye, and I think it's because of the way he acts, he's yeah. so curmudgeonly that I think I've transformed him into this old man who's barking orders at people. Yeah, that's exactly who I imagine. But, it, it, you know, it worked. And I think I laughed. You know, most of all, the thing I took away from this, it made me laugh. And I, I needed that. It was cozy, good-hearted. Um, I love miscommunication humor. And that was, as it was rep- represented in the book, is represented really well in the series. And I enjoyed it overall. So what, what did you think? Yeah, I loved it. This is classic masterpiece for me, which is just sort of like they're giving you all these detailed sets and it's just it's cottage core, isn't it? I mean, it kind of is, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's beautiful to look at and the countryside and there's something so adorable just about people's relationships with animals. There's something so pure about it and a show that really highlights that is very cozy to watch. And the characters are endearing. I'm going to keep watching it. I actually went ahead and watched the second episode. And every episode, you get to learn a little bit more about the townspeople, as James does. And we're introduced to Mrs. Pumphrey and her dog, Tricky Woo, mm-hmm. who I think we talked about this on the episode. She, like, pampers that dog to death <laughs> because yeah. just feeds him all sorts of stuff it shouldn't be eating. Calls uh, James his uncle <laughs> and <laughs> writes letters from the dog to James Harriet. And she's played to perfection by the late Dame Diana Rigg. And one of the things they're working through right now is, like, that was meant to be a recurring character and they're trying to recast her at the moment and figure out well, that's what's going to happen there. But yeah, it, it, it's a great little adaptation and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And it's that classic uh, masterpiece feeling. Yeah. And if you want to catch the series, it's airing now. The last episode will air on February 21st. And I believe the last episode is the Christmas episode. So I imagine that's going to be super cozy. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'm stuffed. That was quite a smorgasbord. Yes, we went it through really was. A, wow. A gauntlet of coziness. We really did. I hope um, our listeners satiated and they got their their topics they were dying to have talked about. Hopefully we did everything justice and I learned a lot <laughs> to say. Me too. I really did get to having all this stuff. So let's wind down. We've, we've gone through a lot. Let's relax with some soothing sounds. <laughs> Jillian, what sound is soothing you this week? Well, I won't lie. It's hard finding 
new songs since we're just in the second half of January. So hard. Finding finding new music in January, you really are like in those initial weeks, like desperately like looking through release schedules. And I had the same experience, but I, I think I found something worth talking about. Julian, what did you find? I found a song called Free by Aaron Espy, and it was released in January 2021. And... Aaron said of the song, it started as a children's song. It still is, I suppose, but it's for you too. I was trying to tell my kids that it's what's inside of them that is limitless, their inner life. Sure, I do think they can become whatever they want to become, parentheses for the most part, but the outer stuff is less important than the inner stuff. And once you listen to it, you can definitely tell how it sounds like a children's song, but it's just uplifting and so simple and sweet. And I thought, you know what? Why the heck not? Let's listen to Free by Aaron Espy. More free than a feeling More free than a place Higher than any ceiling In space That's really sweet. Yeah, it's just a sweet song. I imagine, like, I feel like this is a song you play when you're just, like, driving away from your life. You're like, I had enough. <laughs> <laughs> or you're just hoping to put the kids to bed. <laughs> yeah, or I could... Well, it's I very soothing. Feel- it's, like, it's a nice, relaxing song. It, it could lull a kid to sleep. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's very, like, childlike, and I've never heard a song so childlike presented as an adult song yeah it, it's something you want to sing to anna green gables because she really <laughs> she it makes you think of her with her imagination yeah well you know what i'm really hoping that 2021 has some great cozy music and we can really get roaring in uh, february but for now lull yourself to sleep with free by rnsp and maybe your kids as well yeah that's a great pick i love that thank you julian yes my choice for soothing sound, I also was like searching high and low. And so I found um, this artist who's been around for a while, but she's new to me. Uh, her name is Jasmine Sullivan. This song, this new album that she just released this month um, is called Hotels. And okay. <laughs> oh, I've heard of this. I, I saw an article on NPR. I do think this artist is extremely talented and her voice is beautiful. And the song, the music is just so smooth and classic. It just kind of really immediately relaxes you and, and takes you through a story. And I really also love the, um, the ideas behind this album. She talks about how she wanted to tell the untold stories of women. Uh, she, this is her quote. I feel like society makes it seem like we have to be perfect and present ourselves a certain way to be considered a go- good woman. We're so very layered and multidimensional and we have stories to tell and they're not all great stories, but that's what makes us who we are. So all of these songs are interspersed with stories from women talking about romance or an experience that they had. Um, usually it's about like love and life and, and romance. And so it, that's, that's kind of the, the thematic thrust of, of this album. And the specific song that I I selected is called Girl Like Me, and it's featuring the artist Her. Jasmine Sullivan describes this song this way, and this is another quote. She says, as a black woman, as a woman who I feel like is on the side of the regular girls who uh, don't look like Instagram models and never have, with social media having gotten so popular, seeing those images all the time, and it gets to you, it, it gets to you after a while. 
And so this is kind of about those frustrations with those images that people feel, that make people feel less than. And it does arrive, I think, at a, a more triumphant place when we get to the end of the song. But I would say this this music is, it's more cozy in um, sound than it is in content per se. But wow, her voice is just incredible. And the music is so chill and 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 cozy let's stop listening to me describe it and let's just listen to it girl like me by jasmine sullivan I love her voice. It's just a, such a unique way of singing that, that I, you re, I feel like you really rarely see. And I, I love the set of the live performance too, all the plants in the background and the, the purple lights. I, I loved it. I thought it was, like you said, it's the content necessarily is quote unquote cozy, but her singing and her voices. Yeah, I, I, it's just this whole, check it out. I mean, again, like, I, I, I'm only doing this prefacing because, like, typically we never do recommend anything with, like, any curse words in it <laughs> or anything like that. And a lot of songs in this album do have that kind of stuff. So I'm just, like, just, I don't know. I don't I don't know when you listen to the, if you, like, turn on things we recommend in the car with kids or something. I just want to be aware to check that out. Mm-hmm. Whatever. It's your responsibility to do your due diligence. diligence. I think this album is excellent. I loved it. Like, get, just diving into it and... She's so like, f- it's just so funny and beautiful. I I really highly recommend checking out Jasmine Sullivan. Yeah, a rising star, already a star. So um, Jillian has also has a candle for us to close out with. Jillian, what are we sniffing? <laughs> We're sniffing uh, a candle by Erin Terry, and the candle is a play on her name. So her name is A R Y N, and then the candle's name is or the brand. A-I-R space I-N. So there you go. It's handcrafted and poured in Chicago. I picked up an eight-ounce amber noir candle. And the scents are very, I'd say, I'd say not fruity, but I'll just fill you in in the description. A sweet and sultry fusion of mandarin, jasmine, and rich amber with undertones of sandalwood and musk. Complex, intriguing, and sensual, this fragrance has year-round appeal. It's a unisex fragrance, which I've never heard described <laughs> described on a site. I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I never thought of, I mean, I know that we've even talked about how, like, trying to get away from gendering, <laughs> describing scents as, like, masculine or feminine. Yeah. I think, we've, I think we've gotten away from that. This reminds me that, like, you know floral sensor for girls and and you know leather sensor for guys yeah, i guess they have to really so make it sure weird. that we know I, anything this that is for everybody up, yeah anything that can go up your nostrils <laughs> it, it's unisex sorry to say like there are smells don't have gender um i'll be on my picket line um but anyways so it's just, it just actually build as a travel candle which once again it seems like a such a luxurious concept to me to have a tr- candle you travel with but neither here nor there it gives up a a really good scent has a great throw it reminds me of a like a a nice smelling shampoo Mm. so nothing it's nothing too special i i enjoy it and i look forward to lighting it every night but it's it's not a scent necessarily that i would say is you know unique or one you have to sniff it just smells like 
I would say the mandarin comes through the most. It's not overpoweringly sweet, but it's sweet enough. It really smells like a conditioner that I have in my um, in my bathroom. So it reminds me of a fruity <laughs> conditioner. Okay. It's not it's yeah. not a sultry fusion for you? No, I really didn't get the sultriness of it. I think it needs a little bit more of the the musk and the jasmine. But so, so what would you rate the candle? I would give it a half a wick. Mm, we haven't had a half wick in a while. Yeah. You know, I think I this year I really need to get more... I don't want to use the word critical, but I need to be, I can't let every candle into my life, you know? Yeah, no, you're right. And, you know, we have to have some standards here. So we, it sounds like you, you liked the air in candle, but you, you're expecting more. So. Yes, I liked it a lot. And, um, I think it's, you know, it's a woman owned business. I think, you know, that's wonderful. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's, you know, too conditionary smell for Mm, me. I get that. Yeah. Good throw. Good throw though. Thank you, Jillian, for the <laughs> the candle review. Yes. Well, it's time for us to clean up this uh, all the all this dishware from our smorgasbord, shuffle on out <laughs> for the week. <laughs> Before we do, we want to thank our new patron, Alicia G. Thank you so much for supporting our show. It means a lot. Um, and also, thank you to Kate for increasing your pledge. And if you want to join them in supporting the show, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash allthingscozy. Every little bit counts, and it means a lot. Thank you to everybody who supports our show. Yes, and thank you to KLBJ85 for leaving the sweetest and kindest five-star review. KLBJ85 writes, This is the one podcast I look forward to to the most. I love Matt and Jillian. I even played this podcast for my sister and brother on a recent family vacation. They loved it. Now we all know about a candle throw and that Matt doesn't have the constitution for the woodwick candles. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm glad this is becoming, you don't think all the time about like the things you're putting out into the universe that other people are listening to. And you're like, okay, this is like a a part of me now that (laughs) exists in the world. There is like some part in the earth that, that I'm not in where there's my disembodied voice talking about how he's scared of woodwick candles. So (laughs) is that um, the one that went on fire? Uh, no, it was a different one. It was more of just the crackling, the, the standard fare oh, yeah. of crackling. Oh, that was yes, too much for I me. I, now I remember. I feel like my constitution has like increased for it, but I still do sometimes get a little un, uh, wary about them because um, it does feel like they're going to spark and just like throw flames all over. But that was a really sweet review. I Thank know. you so much, KLBJ. And um, yeah, that really means a lot. Thank you so much for yeah, your kind words. Thank you. And please leave us, um, you know, if you have the time. Please leave re- us a review. Re- re- review. It's very <laughs> sweet. Like, it's the one thing that, not the one thing, but one of the few things that really puts a pep in my step and keeps me going. No, it's sort of <laughs> pathetic. I'm always, like, maybe like once a week I'll go to the iTunes page and kind of refresh and be like, did anyone leave a new review? So if you want to make make yeah. us happy and have that refresh, populate something brand new. Um we're told it helps people find the show, but I think more than anything, it just uh, helps us keep going. So That's for us. <laughs> uh, thank you for leaving a review to everyone who has. And, and please do help us like uh, ring in the new year with some fresh reviews. Yes. And please join our Facebook group. It's really popping these days. All Things Cozy Podcast. Find us on Facebook and also on Instagram. We love new follows, new likes, new joining of the group. So we have a great community. Hope you join it. Yes, we'll see you online. We'll see you on Instagram and our Facebook group. Um, We'll be keeping it cozy until we're back in your ears with more coziness. Until then, stay Stay cozy. cozy.